Welcome to the Motherhood Village Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez-Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Mrs. Jennifer Benoit, who is a licensed clinical social worker, a maternal mental health therapist, a speaker, a consultant, and the founder of MindWell Strategies. Jennifer, how are you? I am great. Thank you for having me, Nicole. So excited to talk with you. Okay, we're going to dive into it. There's so many things I can talk to you about. You are so seasoned with so much information. You spoke at my summit just on the panel, and you just gave so beautifully so much information in that short. I think you, like everyone only had like 10, maybe 12 minutes to explain things, but you did such a wonderful job. Um, So I feel like I can talk to you about so many things, but I want to dive into something I actually saw the other day that you posted about birth trauma. So let's dive into that because we don't hear a lot about birth trauma. I know because of what I do. So I've talked to other people, but like in just off, you know, not podcast conversations. What is birth trauma? It sounds very scary, right? When we hear it, I know for me to hear that, to know, wait, I can pass trauma to my child. So talk to me about it, maybe some statistics. Let's start from there. Yeah. So I don't have statistics off the top of my head, but I will say that birth trauma is something that can happen from the subtle kind of like microaggressions that a mom and even the father might experience through the process of giving birth all the way up until like the really blatant, you know, diagnosable PTSD. So we can just like, I'll tell you a few incidents in terms of clients that I've had. I had a mom who had a really hard time with a doctor in terms of the way that she was being treated throughout the whole process. Her birth plan was not honored. And oftentimes this happens for different reasons. Sometimes the way that we think that our delivery is going to go just doesn't happen that way. Sometimes we get, you know, different doctor the day of, you know, things don't necessarily work out that way. But for whatever reason, she was treated in a way that she felt like he was treating her less than human. Her voice wasn't being heard. And in that way, you can say, well, that's not a big deal. The doctor knows best. But what it did was that it left a stain on her experience because she had always kind of imagined for the process to go one way. And instead, she felt really small and defeated and like minimized in the process of of giving birth to her very first child. And it actually led her to kind of hold off on wanting to have a second child right away because she was so scared of going through that again. And it, it wasn't just what happened in the delivery room, but even leading up until that point, she had chosen a doctor that just didn't have the best bedside manner, who was constantly telling her that she was wrong or that what she wanted, he couldn't, you know, go with. And so, like I said, it could, it could, sure. it could go from small to big when we talk about birth trauma. The point is that it has an effect on the way that a woman enters motherhood. 
the bond that she might have with her child, the overall experience. And so that has to do a lot with not just the medical providers, but also like the support system, the overall flow of how things go. And yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about that, but yeah, it's something that we don't talk enough about for sure. We don't. And we, I, it's funny, we, we don't talk about it, but you hear it a lot. Like, and, and the, it, when I hear of birth trauma, I immediately think, yes, the traumatic birth stories that we hear. I'm sure, like you said, there's there's all the way from maybe you're in an abusive relationship and throughout your pregnancy, you have the birth trauma, like those instances. Yeah, maybe yeah. you're grieving like there's stuff, but let's talk for, for to, to keep it um, focused on like the birthing aspect, because I want to clear cut, not the solution, but I would imagine, and actually before we go to that, maybe talk about some signs and symptoms of understanding if you are in birth trauma and is it preventable? Like, are there ways to like, maybe not prevent it because things happen, but what are some strategies and I'm, I'm missing the word, but like that you can do for yourself to help prevent this possibly from happening? Is it like you said, getting the support, like what can moms do? Because all too especially women of color, particularly black women, you know, with the mortality rates and, you know, not being heard and not being taken seriously and all the things, which I know can be a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, talk about maybe two things. What are some common signs and symptoms? And part two, is it preventable? What can moms do instead of looking at this as fear? Like, oh my God, how do you know, like, oh, like I'm, I'm screwed then. Let's talk about some ways that we can, we can help prevent this from happening. Yeah. So again, there's trauma that we can go and diagnose according to the DSM, where mm-hmm. you might have like recurring nightmares about a situation mm-hmm. or like flashbacks, or you get like a heightened sense of, you know, jumpiness when a certain thing is mentioned, you know, you can't sleep when you think of like, there's different ways that, you know, we diagnose post um, sure. sorry, post-traumatic stress disorder. But then there's also trauma that you, that's not necessarily diagnosable, but it's not any less traumatic, right? Yeah. And so it might just be that when you look at your child, every time you see this crying baby, you think about the experience that you went through and you don't necessarily want to be around the child as much. Or yes. every time someone mentions the idea of having more kids, you automatically like tense up, right? And so one of the ways that for whatever reason, research shows that moms who have babies outside of the hospital setting, so home births or birthing centers tend to provide the level of support that allows moms to feel seen and heard. Also having a birth doula, as you know, makes a huge difference because as much as we talk to moms about advocating for themselves and the things to anticipate It also can be like a jarring experience. If this is your first time, you don't necessarily want to say anything that's going to make anyone mad, you know, in terms of like, we're just taught to put the medical providers up here when it comes to their authority. And so even if we feel uncomfortable, we might not necessarily say anything because we're taught to just kind of go along with it, right? And so it's a matter of, Yes, you want to be able to advocate for yourself, but you also want to have the people in place who will help advocate for you and for you to also be uh, feel as if you are treated humanely, you know, that you 
have agency over your body, that you know your body better than other people. And so there's just a level of communication that's important to have, but also it can start well before you give birth in terms of just getting a vibe and knowing that this is a person who I want in my corner when it's time to go ahead and, and have my baby. So yes, I think a lot of it boils down to education. I know one of the reasons why I was so, so inclined, I guess, to start a podcast was because I felt like moms just didn't have the education. Like I felt it was kind of disheartening that you had to go on YouTube to hear other women tell their stories of their birth experiences. I'm like, yeah. why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't, why isn't my OBGYN telling me, oh, you should have a birth plan. And you know what? Here's a doula. Like I'm so, I'm about to go on the most transformative, life-changing experience. And you just want me to do this, 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 like mm-hmm. it, it just didn't, I, I, I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. After I had my son and knowing then what I know in then being in it, I had a midwife, I had a doula. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, I want all women to experience this. And not that all OBGYNs or hospitals are bad, but it still comes from the education aspect piece because I knew better. And I think when we know better and we have the means to do it, we we do just automatically do better. And to the point of my initial question to you with being preventable, then it is preventing because we can get a doula who can advocate for us. So if we have that doctor that's like this and your husband doesn't know what to do, this doula who has the experience Mm -hmm. can be like, no, Mm -hmm. actually she can. And this is what I'm going to help fight for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Having people in your corner, having education about what your rights are. Um, So many women don't know what their rights are. Yes. They just kind of think they have to go along and you can actually say, no, I want a second opinion or actually, no, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. There's so many different ways that we've just kind of been taught to just go along with things as women, especially. And we don't necessarily know that we have other options available for us. Yeah. And I think the advocating part, it also makes me think how big it is when you do have, especially in the doula case, because I know not everyone might agree to have a midwife or go that route, home birth, birthing center. So take that out of it. But at least Mm -hmm. a doula, someone that can be Mm -hmm. with you in this space, Mm -hmm. not only to tell you your rights, but I also think it's empowering because truthfully, the the husband, I would imagine, I know like my husband just kept looking at me with like a smile. And I was like, boy, if you look at me with that smile, like he's looking at me with that (laughs) smile, like I was so done. And he's like looking at me, you know, like, oh, and I'm like, no, because I was in it. But he's not empowering me. Like he's in, like, I almost feel like we also, and that could be a whole nother topic of like how men particularly, and I know in even other countries, like the fathers aren't allowed in the, in the room, in the space with their child and how it's like, we put a lot of pressure on the men to kind of like be there for the moms. And it's like, listen, they're about to go on a transformative experience as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So having mm-hmm. a doula there, I think allows the husband, the wife, your partner, yeah. whoever that is to kind of sit there and have that experience, experience so that the right. can empower you because men don't necessarily have that empowering thing. My husband wasn't empowering me. He was looking at me because he's smiling. He's like, wow, this is happening. I'm like, what are you doing? Hindsight, I can understand where that was coming from in the middle of it. No. So I had my doula who was like, girl, stay focused. Let's do this. Right. So it's great to kind of have that outside voice. The last thing I want to talk, well, I guess I'll, I'll ask you or say to you, 
before we moved on, move on to the next topic, is there anything else you want to get clear about birth trauma or anyone listening to this that might be have experienced birth trauma? What are maybe some coping strategies for a mother that has had a traumatic birth? Because mm-hmm. I've heard from women like it can last a very long time. So what are some coping strategies and when should they seek professional help? Because yeah. their day to day is now being affected. Yeah, that's a great question. And so, you know, there's people who actually have physical reminders of the birth trauma that they experienced. Maybe there was a particular surgery or procedure that was performed on them that could have been avoided, for instance. And then every time they look down, they see this is a reminder of what happened. So yeah, it can have like lasting impact in terms of how a woman feels long-term, even in her relationship with her baby, like I said. And so, yes, I do think that it's important to talk to a professional, but also, and I'm biased as a therapist, I don't think you have to have some, again, some clinical diagnoses to just be like, I need to talk to someone. So it doesn't have to be severe to say, I need to get this out. But I also just want to validate the experience because what happens oftentimes is that women feel a sense of shame. I should have done this if only I had done that in the moment. And so then there's like that self-blame. And there can also be a sense of it's only me. You know, everyone else talks about such a beautiful experience and I'm the only one who I know who had such a terrible experience. And so oftentimes it's just not something that, women talk about, or it can just be really hard to relive that trauma. And so instead of sharing it with their loved ones, they might just suppress it and just keep pushing through. So there's different ways that women might cope, quote unquote, with what they've experienced, but there are so many healthy ways to get it out. Trauma is not something that you necessarily, you go do the work and now you don't feel it ever again. It's just you deal with it differently when you're activated or when you're triggered. You kind of learn to identify what that thing is. You can even detach yourself from it and say, okay, I I recognize it for what it is. This is how I'm going to manage what's coming up for me. It's not a matter of saying, oh, I no longer feel pain or I no longer have any discomfort around this, this issue, right? Sure. And so I think there's so many different ways that we can use coping skills depending on the person, depending on the season that you are in your life. But A, getting it out there, talking about it to other people, making sure that you don't stay silent. B, learning from the experience, because although you might have wished that you did things differently, you did your best. And so allowing yourself to say, okay, next time around, this is what I'll do differently, or this is how I can help other women so that they don't go through this situation. It kind of gives an empowering reframe around what happened. And then I also think it is important to talk to a professional, maybe join a community like yours, where other women will definitively have similar stories where they will feel validated and heard. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. And I loved, it made me think of early on in my podcast conversations, I was talking to this mom and we were, I, I forget, I forget the main part. It's funny how like you forget the main parts, but she said this one thing that stayed with me. And she was like, I think people have this ideology that like, I'm happy and I'm happy all the time. And to your point, like now the trauma, like they think the trauma is going to be gone. It's not going to be painful. And that's what we're seeking. That's what we're seeking because for so long in our childhood, we've been taught, well, 
anger isn't good, sadness, you know, all these things aren't good, right? Because maybe we've been told we, we well, we didn't, we were, didn't hear that it was necessarily a normal feeling. It was more than likely a negative connotation associated with anger if a child acts out, right? All these things. And she said so eloquently, she was like, you know, life is is waves, you know, and the better we understand, like some moments we're happy, some moments we're sad, some moments we're good, but that is life. And throughout the day, we're like that. We can get up thinking this, this, and then a moment happens and maybe we're our, our energy levels down, something made us sad. And that's okay. Yeah. I think the purpose to what you're saying is like, we have to be clear of understanding that. And I think that's part of really being self aware. And it takes a lot of work to get there to understand that and say to your point, this is triggering me, how do I handle like, yeah. at this point in my life, I'm very happy. And not all the time, but I can get it clear. I'm like, Oh, this is triggering me like this is, mm-hmm. you know, when my husband does mm-hmm. this, and I had to mm-hmm. get clear, like, well, it's not him. Why is when he does this? Why? What does it trigger me? Why does why do I get this? Why do I feel this way? So I love how you said that, because I think it's so true, because we have this thought like, well, I'm going to seek help for my trauma. And then it's going to magically go away. And it's like, honey, no, the trauma is there. We all have it on different levels. It's just how we deal with it. And to what extent do we get the help to understand so that if we are in another trauma filled situation or again, being triggered, we know how to deal with it in a healthy way. You know what? You just brought up another point. Oftentimes there's unresolved trauma that kind of carries into the process of giving birth and becoming a mother, right? And so, for example, a woman who's been sexually violated might have a particularly hard time going through the process of giving birth, right? Being touched a certain way, having memories that come up in the process of giving birth, right? Of how she didn't necessarily have agency over her body. And so that also is, you talk about preventative. I don't know that it keeps you from not feeling certain things, but it certainly can help you to be more aware of what's coming up for you and give you tools to cope with that in the moment and to kind of ground yourself back into the moment of what's happening versus where that trauma might take you into the past, right? And so that's also an important part. I mean, I can go on and on about this because women have such a disconnected relationships with their bodies in general. Um, We're oftentimes, um, yeah, we're not necessarily taught to kind of like have that kind of, this is my body and, and I own it fully. We're not taught that. And so, so much goes into that and I won't go on a tangent, but yes, the work of understanding your past traumas and how that can bleed into the birthing process is also important. And how you raise your child. Mm-hmm. You know, like I tell my husband all the time, I thank God for my podcast because it has really made me a more aware mother. I guess maybe a better mother, but better in the sense of maybe for him, like to my listeners, we had an incident where my son's teacher called while Jennifer and I were just talking before. And I think had I not been equipped with how to handle that, maybe I would have been like, I would have handled it a much different way, maybe a way to your point that was kind of how my parents would have handled it with me. And as we were saying, when that incident happened, like it's really understanding your child. And I think the one, one of the things that I love about this new 
new way parenting, what do you call it? Millennial parenting, the peaceful parenting, the, all the names we want to give the things. Yeah. But what it really comes down to is the connection with our children because we do carry those traumas and it affects how that relationship and how we are with our children. Because when your child is blatantly being like, no, I am not going to do that. And you remember your mom at, or whatever that is that triggers that you're like, no. It's how a, dare it's almost you? A, how dare yeah. you in a fight or a flight of like, oh, we about to get through this now. Yeah, yeah, When you're yeah. like, wait a minute, they're only six. They don't mean it personally. Like they yeah. have, they want to advocate for them too. Yeah. Right? They, we need to teach them that. So this is a perfect segue into one of the things, you're a speaker at my summit. One of the things that we talked about was communication. And I want to mm-hmm. just stay here for a little bit before we get into something else that you're passionate about, which is narcissistic abuse. But yeah. what you were describing, especially for women, and I want to say men too, but I think, yes, women, I was just Dr. Shafali's Instagram. I'm sure you're aware of who she is, yeah. had a perfect piece about like, how women, you know, we really are taught like people pleasing and the Mm -hmm. good girl and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things. And when you were talking about just a little bit ago about like, especially in women of not advocating and making sure everyone else is happy instead of ourselves, let's go into the communication piece. So as a licensed clinical social worker and the work that you do for a mother listening to this, that maybe is in that people pleasing mode that has some other issues going on, how can they really prioritize communication within their busy schedules without feeling overwhelmed? Like maybe just give some tips, strategies of like really being able to advocate for yourself, whether it's with your partner, your job, your family, your friends, whoever is in that village. How can a woman and a man listening advocate for themselves to say, I need this because of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a necessary question, but I also would be remiss if I did not kind of give the precursor of what has to happen before we get to the point of communication, like healthy communication. Yes. So much of the work, like you said, has to do with the messages that we've received, right? The the programming that's kind of set in place. And so I can tell you, just say these things and do it this kind of way and everything will work out. But at the same time, there's some hardcore wiring that needs to be addressed in terms of perhaps codependency. I'm only okay if you're okay. So if you're mad at me, then I'm not safe. And therefore, I can't get let you be mad at me. I have to do the thing that's going to make you feel good so that I could feel Okay, right? Because if not, in my body, I'm going to feel anxious and I'm going to have a hard time navigating other aspects of my life. That's a real thing, right? So when we break down codependency, that's just kind of, I want to put it in a way where people understand that because it's a, a term that is thrown around a lot. But we have to understand that if you're wired in that way, me telling you to have direct assertive communication is not going to take you very far because it's almost going to be feel detrimental in some ways That's to so assert dumb. yourself. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. And so there's a lot of work to be done around understanding first and foremost that you have permission, right? That you are safe in expressing what you need, that the world will not stop if you decide to prioritize prioritize your needs above others. And in actuality, it can do the reverse, which is lead to healthier relationships in your life. Like these kind of, this kind of pre-work has to happen 
in order for the healthy communication stuff to stick. Right. Yeah. You were going to say something. I want to No, pause. it makes sense because it's a hundred percent, I think. And I love how you're so honest with that because I think you, like you said, the codependency word gets thrown a lot. The, Oh, let's have, be a better communicator. But to your point, if you're not really doing the work to make it stick, like it's just, it's almost going to be like a never ending cycle because you really have to do the work. I'm always clear in saying I was married once to my high school boyfriend and I know we're going to get into the narcissistic abuse. And looking back, I think there was some of that there. Now, he wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't diagnosed with that, but there were some tendencies and things. Yeah. We had a very codependent, there's that word relationship. Mm -hmm, I had known him since mm -hmm. I was 16, all the things. But once that divorce happened, I could have easily blamed him for XYZ. And I, it was very valid, but I was like, but what was my um responsibility in this why did mm -hmm. he think it was okay for this why did mm -hmm. i let this what was my self value in this so to your point where that came from i can only say came from the grace of god because at that time i tapped into my connection with that in in a way that i don't think i've ever done since maybe one other time of really like that's how in it i was and tried to get out of it so i say all that because that was a whole different <laughs> that that was a very special situation but your point of of really getting clear and doing that work because if not then someone could be like yeah you know you need to be more not aggressive but assertive in your approach and you need yeah. to be this but if, if you don't believe you deserve good. that or have the yeah. value to understand you almost like you said set yourself up for failure because you're like damn I can't do that. So now how can I even ask for what I want? So I love how you say like, yeah, we can, we can talk about it, but you need to do the work in yourself to get right. clear that you can even right. ask for that. Exactly. You, and you might've grown up in a household where you did not learn anything about healthy communication. Yes. Either there's rage when a person feels like you are confronting them or there's like stonewalling where they don't talk to you. And you kind of have to tiptoe around things. So it it sends the message that um, talking about what it is that I need can feel dangerous, right? It can feel like a conflict is going to erupt at any moment. And I would rather not do that. So I'll just work around it. You know what I mean? And so there's so many things that impact the fact that we are at a point where we don't know how to communicate or we're afraid of communication. We gotta we have to address that before we get to healthy communication. I love that. So anyone listening to this, because they're like, okay, well then what does that mean? Look inside yourself. And if you're seeing patterns mm -hmm. of you're not able to stand up for yourself, you're finding yourself that you're like, okay, you're just giving in because you don't you think conflict is gonna come. I know for me what's been coming up recently, just because I'm really in it with growing this community, is I get fearful sometimes. Not fearful, that's not a right word, but like like what's the worst that's going to happen? And I create this almost story in my head. Yeah. So because I recognize that I was like, girl, where I like, I had to have a conversation with myself and say, Nicole, mm -hmm. like, where is this coming from? Like, and I think I realized I'm like, oh, well, I'm getting overwhelmed and that sort of thing. Um, but again, it took a lot of work to kind of get there that I can have those conversations. So anybody listening to this, like, if you're seeing patterns, like seek help. There's wonderful women like Jennifer Benoit, that who is my guest that I'm talking to right now. And Jennifer, you're not just in Florida, correct? You're in other right. states. Right. I'm licensed in five other states. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, and if it's not Jennifer, you know, seek out to say, okay, maybe it's time I speak to someone about what this is telling me. Okay, let's get into the narcissistic abuse. 
what is narcissistic abuse? I think, that, and, I, and and that's true because, like I said, I I like self. I diagnosed my ex, um, yeah. whether he did or not, no, no clue. But yeah, what is it, and what are signs to look for? Oh, and I'm sure that's such a hard thing because when you're in it and you're quote unquote in yeah. love and all the things, like we're blinded, right? So oh talk to me. Let's 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 talk about that for a bit. I'm not gonna give you any kind of DSM definition. Again, sure. DSM is the diagnostical statistical manual that sure, we use sure. as clinicians to diagnose. So you don't necessarily have to be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder to fall somewhere along the spectrum, right? And so regardless <laughs> okay. of whether your ex actually met all the criteria, your experience is valid regardless. Okay. Right? And so, again, this is one of those other terms that's thrown around a lot these days. It's a little annoying when you're a clinician and you're like, actually, that's not what it is. <laughs> so anyways, I digress. So there's there's like obvious things. We talk a lot about gaslighting, another you know very popular term where this individual tends to kind of minimize your experience. Oh, that's not really what it is. You're just making that up. But in general, it's a personality where you can follow on the overt or the covert side of things, where the world tends to revolve around what they think, feel, believe, you know, everything is kind of about them. It always goes back to them. They have a really, really hard time um, understanding other people's feelings. And so sometimes you might even mistake it for um, someone who's on the autistic spectrum because you're like, why is it that you don't know how to have empathy? Like, is there something else, you know? And so that's oftentimes the first sign. This is a person who has, there's a, there's so many tactics that narcissists use when it comes to having the individuals in their life kind of fall in line. There's narcissists who are the one-uppers. They're always going to tell you something that's going to make you feel like you're beneath them um, and devalue, like feel devalued in their presence. There's the narcissist who whatever happens is everybody else's fault. They're always the victim. That person might also exhibit qualities of like depression and anxiety. And so there's also this idea that the rest of the world sees them one way. And then your experience is completely different. And I'm giving you like, I'm sure. not giving you the definition, but I'm giving you some things to look out for. If this is a person who, when you bring something up to them, rage, like rage that doesn't even fit the situation is what, how they tend to respond to you. This is a sign they do not do well with accountability at all. And that's also because there's a lack of insight and self-awareness. And so you can be saying something that's black and white, and they're still going to argue with you. Like that is not what it is. Oftentimes in the presence of narcissists, you feel as if you are just kind of invisible, right? Not only do they not listen, they might cut you off while you're talking. They take up the room. They, the air in the room is just kind of like, <laughs> so I can go on and on about that, but these are just a few of the ways that you can start to, you know, investigate a little bit further if this is um, a person who falls on the narcissistic spectrum. But what I like to do with the people that I work with in terms of my clients, because oftentimes the conversation can stay there, like what this person is and how they show up, but we have to start to identify how did we get here? 
what is it that led me into this type of relationship? Yes. What are the things that I, because you oftentimes I'll have clients say, I don't recognize myself anymore. Like I'm a shell of my former self after being with this person because they can tear you down so yes. hard um, that you lose yourself and you forget who you are. They can isolate you from the people in your life, right? There's so many ways that you start to just question yourself mm-hmm. and 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 just kind of feel like maybe I'm crazy, you know? So yeah, I think I can, I, that's another topic I can go on and on and on about, but I enjoy being able to provide a space for people to talk these things through. And we're not just stuck on what a narcissist is and isn't, but how can we heal from these relationships? And oftentimes it does start with a parental unit. You might end up in a relationship with a narcissist because it's familiar. It's what you know in terms of a dynamic with a parent. And so there's so many ways that you can you can start to like, reestablish your identity outside of these relationships, but sometimes it's nuanced. Like if you're co-parenting, you can't just cut off that relationship or if it's a parent, you can't always just like cut them off, but there's definitely ways that you can navigate so that you can start to feel more self-empowered and self-possessed in those relationships. Okay. So, oh my God, you make, oh, okay. So such a great Oh, so many things. Uh, One of the things I want to say to that is immediately as a mom, I'm like, okay, how do I not raise a narcissist? (laughs) Mm. So let's talk about that. That is such a good question. So that's like immediately I'm like, okay, hold on. Cause like, I don't want my son to be the man that I was in that relationship with because I thank God every day I got out of it. But I know again, how difficult, because to your point, you do, you feel like you're useless. It's you, the power is lost. Like you're saying all the things I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Check, 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 check. check. And I I can imagine, yeah, if you're talking about a parent, like that's got to be so difficult to have to deal with, but I can definitely see some of those traits in parents as well. So yes, let's go to that million dollar question. How do we not raise narcissists? So you don't want to raise an entitled child who thinks that the world revolves around them, who doesn't necessarily like the cute, spoiled child who is the darling of everyone's eyes can be the kid that ends up being the narcissist. Yeah. But there's also instances where some type of traumatic event has happened to the narcissist. And oftentimes the way that they present is like, arrogant and like they are better than people but at the core of narcissists is like a lot of insecurity yeah and this sense of it's like me against the world and so i don't know if it's preventable because i'm sure that there's some type of genetic component probably in there as well like nature Mm -hmm. and nurture but you want to raise your child to be conscientious of the people around them and not believe that the world revolves around what they want all the time. That's why even at a young age with my daughter, we have negotiations at times because she's three. We have times where mommy gives in, but we also have times that's important for her to hear no. I hear what you're saying, but the answer is no, because you have to know that it won't always be what you want in life. And so she has to understand that there's such thing called authority and respect for other people's wishes and things like that. And so, yeah, there's ways that you can start to, to teach your kid to not just kind of see themselves as the center of the universe. 
Yeah, no, and I think you make a good point. Like, yeah, and it's balanced with that, you know, like 100%. There are times where you're like, okay, like, what do they say? Like, I guess just like you would be with your partner, like pick your battles and choose your battles yeah. and say, okay, is it really like, I, I discuss it sometimes with my husband because again, I think a lot of times he has a tendency to kind of go that old school approach, but I give him grace because I know I, I have these conversations, right? This is my mm -hmm. 170th conversation. Mm -hmm. I do a lot more Ooh, of like, congratulations. And, oh, <laughs> thank you. But like, I'm, I'm in it, you know, yeah. I go back and tell him, listen, this, he's not in it like that. His personal development is like our future and finance. So to talk to someone who's kind of has their own traumatic issues with life, I'm sure to now see things differently. There's a, there's a grace period to have with him. But oh, yeah. I say all that because I do tell him like baby you got to pick your battles with him like he's six like why are you taking this personal like all the things so mm -hmm. to your point there are moments where you're like all right let me give in in the grand scheme of things is this really on a scale of one to ten or is it a moment where it's like no because it is because like this is what it is and and I have told my son that like I've truly been honest with him and been like dude no and if he said why I'm like because like it's not all about you kid and like you know mm -hmm. that's how like we kind of mm -hmm. that's like our dynamic and he's like mm -hmm. What do you mean? And I'm like, <laughs> I love it to like infinity, but dude, no, like mom yeah. needs to go out. We had a perfect example of this. He was with my mother-in-law. My husband and I were celebrating our anniversary and oh, he had a moment. Oh, and I wanted to have done anything to like run home because my mommy guilt. And we were just down the street. We had a mini staycation, but this is important to hear because this is one of those moments that yes, my mommy heart was breaking down. He, I know he had a long day at school. It was a Friday. Yeah. Like I know my child, I'm sure he was hungry, cranky and yeah. he couldn't find his like anime. He has this Naruto Dragon Ball Z doll and the hands were missing. And oh, mommy, I just want <laughs> you to come home, please. And I mean, like the, I could see that he just wanted a hug. Yeah. And I can see my husband looking at me because I think he almost for a thought was like, I was going to say, turn around. Mm -hmm. And I was so proud of myself. And I said, listen, baby, mommy would love to give you the biggest hug. And I promise you that when I see you on Sunday, mommy's going to give you the biggest hug you've ever seen. And I'm giving you a hug now. And we're going to see each other in our dreams. But you have to go to Nana's house because mommy and daddy need this time. So you know what he says? Why didn't you spend time together before I was born? <laughs> like that's such like a, like a, like that's where my son's brain goes. Like he's a I smart kid. Love it. And I was like, we did. But I said, Papi, we need to continuously spend yeah, time because yeah. they think black and white. He's like, why don't yeah. you do all of this before? Like I'm here now. <laughs> but it was, that was in the moment where it's like, you're absolutely right. But yeah. we also need this. And yeah, my mommy heart was, you know, like he was in it. And Embrace. I knew all he wanted was a mommy embrace. And my, you know, my mother-in-law isn't demonstrative as, you know, as my family is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was like, go give Nana a hug. And I was like saying it loudly. You know, I was like, give Nana, I'll give you a hug. And Nana will take you home and you'll watch TV and be better. But that is an example, I think, to your point where it's like, sometimes you have to stick. Like you could, I could have ran home, um, but I knew he was safe, right? I knew yeah. he was safe and he just, yeah. needed mommy as opposed to you know it was an unsafe situation and all of that so I think yeah you make a great point of like <clears throat> you just have to balance it out and say well what is this take this exact event and is it something we can give into or is it something that we're like sorry babe like this is what it is and this is what it has to be because other mm -hmm. people matter too <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean it doesn't matter it doesn't mean that every spoiled kid ends up being a narcissist right 
there's other factors that go into play as well. And again, I don't know all the intricacies of how a person comes to be that, but I know we have a lot of them walking around in this world a lot. (laughs) And I don't think it helps that a lot of, and I sound so old when I say this, but I do think that there's a sense of entitlement that younger people tend to have these days as well. And so, yeah, there's, there's parenting that can curb that and that can really have an impact in the opposite direction. Sure. And I would imagine then you get into school age kids and are you interfering with them? Are you, you know, like interfering with their thing where mommy has to save the day or daddy without Mm. allowing them to say like, dude, I have to fight my own battles to know like, Mm -hmm. you know, mommy and daddy aren't always going to be there. So you got to advocate for yourself too. But knowing that, you know, yeah, that it's not all about you in that way either. Like yeah, yeah. your teacher said you're getting this, you're not doing this. So I can't, right. you know, I can't, I can't fix this. Exactly. Yeah. There's, consequences. There's consequences for your actions. Yeah, exactly. And we're not going to fix every situation. I mean, one of the things with my parents, old school parenting that really did help was that, you know, my dad was like, listen, once you turn 18, like mommy and daddy, like you got to get clear and, and about your stuff because we can't be there right now. We can try and help and certain things, but you know, consequences will arise and you're an adult at that moment. And I kind of always stuck like, yeah, I got to, you know, get with it. Not that I was a, a troublemaker or any of that, but it is something to think about who you run with, who is in your, you know, yeah. your, your space, you know, that was really big in my, in my dad's ear because of how he was raised. So let's go. So as we kind of wrap it all together with the narcissistic abuse, why was it important for you to kind of start this? I know you mm. have a cohort coming up with it. So yeah. I want you to talk about that and how people can work with you. But why was it important for you to focus on this particularly? Yeah, this is so pervasive. I didn't talk much about what I do. I'm a therapist, right? And so I provide services mainly to new mothers who are experiencing a myriad of issues when it comes to transitioning into motherhood and beyond. And so um, oftentimes I would run into clients who, as they describe certain relationships, I'm like, that sounds like narcissistic abuse. Let's look for a resource. And I would look, help them look for groups, support groups, and we wouldn't find anything right? It would be really hard. So the default would be like join a Facebook group or, you know, just kind of something online that can expose you to other peers, but not necessarily like a professionally led group that gives voice to people. And the reason why that component is so important is because a huge part of narcissistic abuse is you feeling like you're crazy. Because this person, yeah, the isolation, the person makes you feel as if you're the one with the problem. And so it's hard for you to like, get to the point on your own where you're like, actually, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. One in one does not equal two (laughs) here, right? And so being around people who are sharing the same stories, who are going to like legitimize your experience and like give give language around what it is that you've been feeling all this time is such an important part of the healing process. So in the absence of it, I said, let me just go ahead and create it myself. And I'm also a survivor of narcissistic abuse. And so I recognize with myself what I needed to move through it because your friends and your family don't always get it, especially if they see a different side of that person they are going to kind of, they add to the gaslighting at times because they're, oh, you're just kind of, you're being dramatic or you're very sensitive. 
but they don't experience what you experience or know the other side of that person. And so it's really, really important to have a space where you can talk freely while also being given tools to move through that experience. Oh, that's so powerful. And um, it, it sounds so like clear, but it's so true. Number one, they could ha- be a narcissist, narcissist themselves. Or mm. number two, exactly, it's happening behind closed doors. So they're not seeing like you said, so it's very difficult. And you, you know, are going to these people, who to your point, it's not an outsider who can give an outside perspective, because they're seeing a different view. And yeah, a going to your point, then they're, you're feeling like you're crazy because you're like, well, if everyone else sees this, is it me? Like, what is going mm-hmm. on? Mm-hmm. So tell my listeners how they can work with you. Obviously, I will put all in the show notes, but where they can find you when your next cohort is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you can find me on my website is mindwellstrategies.com. So that's M-I-N-D-W-E-L-L strategies.com. And there you will be able to book a consultation call with me if you want to hop on a call and see if we are a good fit, either for individual therapy or group therapy. Or you can reach out to me directly via email, jennifer at mindwellstrategies.com. You can also go to my, check out my Instagram if you want to. It's jenniferbenoit1, and I'm sure you'll spell that out in the show notes. And those are the main ways to reach out to me. I'm really good with email. So if you reach out to me, we can always get you on the calendar so that we can talk. Awesome. And what, oh, talk about your next cohort. When is that? Don't you have? Yes. So I actually, I think just yesterday I made the date. I think that the date is going to be on January 22nd as the first. Okay, perfect. And if something changes, we could put that if, but okay. Yeah. So it's going to be a five week program. It's all virtual. It's about an hour and a half on Mondays, 12 to 1.15, 12 to 1.30, where we are going to just basically like go through a number of things that are going to help you to heal from narcissistic abuse. Love it. Um, And again, I'll put that all in the show notes. No, this was great. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on and sharing such great insight and tips. And I I can talk to you all the time, I think all day about this and everything else, all other things. I love talking (laughs) to you. But um, Likewise. Yes. I always like to ask my guests, like, what are your final thoughts? You know, if, if someone can sum this up, if there's something you're like, listen, I need a mom to hear, um, what would you like to share? The reason why I entered the space of maternal mental health specifically is because I dealt with a lot of my own stuff when I became a mom, things that I didn't, I didn't anticipate. And so I want to encourage you to if you're listening, use motherhood as an opportunity to heal and to break generational patterns. Whatever it is that causes you to feel triggered or activated or causes you to feel like less than as a parent, we can address like that is where we can start in order for you to make the changes that are going to allow you to be the best parent, the best partner. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Um, The best version of yourself that you can be. And so I I know that oftentimes when we become moms, it's like we feel restricted, but I actually see motherhood as an opportunity for us to expand to levels and heights that we've never even known before. And so, yeah, let's use motherhood as a mirror for all the things that let's the ish (laughs) that we need to address and let's do the work. Oh, I love that. I love 
I love how you said to use motherhood as a as a means to heal. I think sometimes when we are in the thick of it, like, yes, it can, like you said, it can bring up all the things. We can feel very overwhelmed. We can second guess. We can almost let ourselves kind of spiral. But when we could use it to look back to say like where we need to heal and grow, it could be such a powerful tool to move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on. Thank you um, for, for having your patience, me. as my son's teacher called. That, but that's real life, right? Like that is that is motherhood. It's all good. It's all the things. So thank you for your patience and continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank this was you. great. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their motherhood village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.